Attorney Aaron Hopkins has been in practice for over 24 years. From his downtown West Frankfort private practice, he serves Southern Illinois and beyond. Aaron Hopkins offers a general practice, family law, criminal defense, DUI reinstatement, and other law matters you may have. AaronHopkinsLaw.com. Brad Cole, Illinois Municipal League Executive Director. We've called him back for an encore appearance this morning. Morning, Brad. Good morning, Tom. Good morning to your listeners. We wanted to, I talked to Brad last week when I was, I learned some stuff while I was reading about the uh, budget and the things that were proposed, and I was startled by a couple of things. Uh, before we get to that portion of the program, um, the LGDF, I had an expectation that that was going to be addressed. Well, you know from last time we spoke that uh, you had the governor's office on the same morning and uh, it seemed to be an indication that the governor's office was wanting to work with communities. They certainly didn't say they were not going to uh, address LGDF, the local government distributive fund, which is the local share of state income taxes. But in the budget proposal, it was flat. So neither a decrease nor an increase. And I guess in retrospect, that was probably better than what it could have been given some of the other proposals we heard. Well, uh, I, the expectation, I think, was created in part because I asked the question, and he says, you'll just have to wait until Wednesday. So that 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 kind of was, to me, a nod that it would be addressed in some respect, even if it was just a couple of percentage points upward. Yeah, absolutely. And we were certainly hopeful for that. As you know, we used to get 10% of the state income tax collections, and we're down to 6.47%, so just about 6.5%. And, and that's been... Uh, incrementally increasing for the last few years because of the pressure we've been putting on the General Assembly. But the reality is it's it's still almost a billion dollars below where it should be before where it was in 2011, before the state started modifying the state income tax and making various adjustments. So it's still an issue. It's where we think the, the General Assembly really should focus and, and make um, a commitment to to fully funding the local government distributive fund. That also impacts county governments that uh, rely on some of those dollars. So it's still an issue we're going to be working on. And we were hopeful to see a, a positive recommendation in the budget. But like I said, it was neither increased nor decreased. So uh, flat is better than it could have been. At, at first blush, one of the biggest takeaways from the gubernatorial address on the budget last Wednesday was the grocery store tax. But it was a uh, pretty emblematic of the old statement, uh, devil's in the details. Absolutely. And in fact, those details uh, were not shared with us in advance. Uh, we didn't know that they were not going to be making local governments whole on their proposal to eliminate the grocery tax. You'll remember two years ago, before the last general election, the state suspended the grocery tax, but the state made up that difference and transferred funds to the local government's out of the state general revenue fund, so there was no money lost for local governments. But this proposal now does not include that uh, transfer, and it will, in fact, cost local governments somewhere in the range of $325 million a year. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I started talking to mayors, some said, I didn't even know that we got a grocery tax on the local level, to you cannot believe how important that is, depending, of course, on the nature of your town and your uh, tax base. I mean, you don't have a lot of grocery stores. You may not see a lot of money involved on that on a smaller town. Murfreesboro, Harrisburg, Marion, Carbondale with these larger stores, Heron, uh, Steve Fertini and I are going to talk about this tomorrow morning. 
So the impact of this varies depending on the size of your community. Well, not the size, the business, the business district. Yes. Well, right. It depends on what you have as far as your business environment, if you have grocery stores. But don't forget that uh, Walgreens, uh, Casey's, Dollar General, uh, just about everybody sells some form of grocery items now. And that may be the only place that uh, you can get grocery items in some very small towns. And so if you're talking about a lot of money or a little money, it's all relative. In a very small community, of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars is a whole lot of sales tax revenue going all the way up to the city of Chicago. I mean, it could be 75 or $100 million. Yeah, so are you pretty stir, uh, straight on that 325 $325 million among all the local communities? That is the number that the budget, the governor's budget proposal references. That's uh, when I spoke with the governor's office of management and budget. Uh, they said they estimated it to be 300 to 350 million. So that squares with the 325 million dollar estimate that that we're aware of. It's interesting. I just got a text from Andy on the American Monument text line. He says taxes, like the government, are a necessary evil and should be treated as such. Uh, and keep uh, keep taxes small and localized as possible, which I think is kind of in some respect what we're talking about. Because, of course, as Brad pointed out, I think maybe a lot of uh, mayors at first blush, as I used the term earlier, had just assumed if the uh, state was going to cut that tax as they had in the past, they would backfill it, which was the popular term. But that's not in there, so this is something where, you know, a town's doing more with it. It's kind of like... I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend, so he says, would you call this an unfunded mandate? I said, no, but I could understand why you'd say that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that is on the books now that is dedicated for local governments, and so eliminating it at the state level doesn't add or subtract any money to the state. It just takes it all away locally, and it pushes that burden down to the local government it's unfunded. It's not really a mandate, although the mandate is removing something that currently exists. I suppose then it's mandating that if you want to keep up your same level of programs and services, you're going to have to come up with the money yourself. All right. That brings me back to the next question. Uh, the governor's spokesperson saying local governments who believe their residents should continue to pay a tax on their groceries will still have the authority to put one in place at the local level. So why don't people just put it on the local level, home rule law, whatever the case? Well, aside from that being a blatantly dismissive response to the serious issue of the governor taking more than $325 million away from local governments, I have read the Revenue Code and the Municipal Code. I would suggest, Tom, that someone in the governor's office or his spokesperson who said that also read the law, since we do not have that authority, not by action of the city council, not by referendum. And it would take a bunch of changes to both of those codes to provide that authority. So for them to say that we can put this tax in place locally is, well, it's just false. Now, if anyone in the governor's office had asked us about this, we could have told them so in advance. And if they have a different answer to that question, I sure would like to see it because it does not exist in current law. The other thing we also could have told them is that eliminating this tax will likely unravel dozens and possibly hundreds 
of sales tax sharing agreements and rebate agreements with grocers that needed incentives to build or operate their grocery stores, some of those being in food deserts, which will now only be made worse because of this proposal, which is basically an election year shell game. Yeah, that's interesting. Residents should continue to, if, if uh, local governments who believe their residents should continue to pay a tax on their groceries, because that's a loaded statement. It's interesting because I've had more than one really ugly argument with someone or another, because I will play devil's advocate for fun of it, on the ethics of paying tax on food. Yeah, so sure. So that's a, uh, a philosophical, political question or discussion to have. Should there be a tax on food? Well, obviously, this is a 1% tax. It's not the, the high tax of 6.25% plus any local taxes that are put on general merchandise items. And so it's because people who you know, need food still are using public services. So that's a, that's a political issue, a social issue to determine whether or not there should be a tax on groceries. No issue there for us. Our point is there is a tax on groceries, and if you do away with it, then where do those monies come from? If you think that taking away one tax is not going to increase another tax, then you're not paying attention to reality because we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that are funding local programs. Now, to my point earlier, we don't have the authority to do that. And so if either the governor's office doesn't know that or they weren't thinking about it or they were just being flip and trying to brush us off, but this is a serious issue and trying to make sure communities of all sizes, large and small, north, south, east to west, making sure that they have the resources necessary is a big deal. You know, it's interesting. So that's the problem we're trying to solve. You know, it's interesting. One of the first texts I got this morning we were talking about this story was, wow, I've never heard Republicans against a, a tax cut before. See, and, the, you know, my first thought is, gosh, perception's important. It is, and I think fiscal responsibility is the underlying key to that. You're going to have Democrats and Republicans, both sides of the aisle, both chambers, asking questions. Well, wait a minute. What is this really going to mean? Yes, we like the headline. Yes, we like to be able to say we cut your taxes. Yes, we want to say we eliminated the grocery tax. But what's the reality? What's that going to mean for the average day, every uh, day person, average citizen in their purchases, but more so in the services that they're receiving? You know, it's interesting because the reason why I moved to where I live right now was because of two things. Fire department was number one. Number two, police department was close by and I'd be living in town instead of the country. It's two very big reasons why I moved into town. And, and I realized that if you live in a small town like me, now not a lot of our tax base comes from selling food, especially after the grocery store closed. Um, but, you know, I realized that, you know, if I live in the right town, this risks my fire service and police depending on, well, which town I'm in and the, how they decide to deal with that lost revenue. Absolutely. I mean, there are consequences to all of these decisions. And like I said, we're not opposed to the elimination of the tax. We're opposed to the elimination of the funding that is paying for your police protection, your fire protection, the infrastructure improvements, the regular order of business at Village Hall, and all the things that you're used to. And, uh, you know, in a 52 plus billion dollar budget to penalize local governments by removing 300 plus million 
uh, just doesn't make sense, other than it's an election year. The last time we saw this was the last election, the last general election two years ago. So it seems like this is an easy thing for a positive soundbite or a headline. But the reality is we still have to operate the governments, and the local governments do not have the resources that the state does. They also don't have the authority that the state does. You know, what's interesting, Brad, is how I came through the funnel on this. I'm having a an interview with Will Stevens, and it's during COVID, and I talk about how it's affected business and tax revenues, you know, American Rescue Plan money and all that, and he's going, we're doing great because we have this store, this store, this store, and this store. And at the time, you know, it's weird how you, you how you get that little light bulb that goes off over the top of your head. Well, that because and probably anybody was listening to the station heard the interview, heard me be surprised about how big that is. And I'll bet you John McPeak in Harrisburg would say the same because there's a large rural area that comes in and takes advantage of Murfreesboro shopping opportunities. Union County is a good example in Linda Jackson and Murfreesboro, and of course all of southeastern Illinois and Harrisburg. And you know, and I, I think. The mystery, what goes on behind the curtain. We're getting an education if we'll take the time to watch. Absolutely. And, you know, there are lots of these things we're going to find out in the budget address. You know, it was an hour-long address, but, you know, it's thousands of pages of material when you add it all together. And there's going to be lots of things that people will have uh, positive and negative comments and thoughts about. Now, I will say this is just one proposal. And this is the governor's proposal. The General Assembly still has to enact the budget. They have to do that before the end of May, hopefully. And so time is uh, available for us to work through this. And we're hoping that the leadership in the General Assembly and the individual senators and representatives will listen to their local officials and will work with the Illinois Municipal League to come up with a solution for this problem. But there's plenty of time to address it, but it has to be addressed. It just can't be ignored. And what else is in the budget that we're going to have to address, too? So a lot of things are still kind of unknown, and the process is really just beginning. I want to thank everybody uh, who's chiming in here. Jeff, uh, really appreciate your note. He's uh, bragging on you this morning, Brad, uh, from Heron. And um, it's interesting. Here's one from Pam. I always enjoy her work. What'd she say here? Eliminating a 1% tax only saves $1 for every $100 you spend on food but cuts way too much from local government. Thanks, Pam. That's an interesting note. Yeah, and this is something citizens, I think, are smart enough to realize. You know, let me, let me tell you what the problem is with grocery prices right now, Tom. It's not the tax. It's that inflation has increased exponentially the cost of the food that we're all consuming on a daily basis. I mean, when you go to the grocery store and you look at the prices – that's not with a 1% tax. That's with the inflation tax that we've all been suffering the last several years. When you see the cost of items going up 10, 20, 50, sometimes 100%, it's because of the inflationary impact, everything else that's going on in the economy right now. It's not the 1% grocery tax. And when you eliminate that tax, let's say it's eliminated, nobody's going to be going to the grocery store thankful and happy, oh my goodness, look how much money we're saving, because the prices are going to continue to go up. And that's not a slam on the grocers. They're trying to do business. Imagine trying to be a grocer today in this environment where you have a very slim margin in trying to keep your employees and make sure you've got these products on the shelf and people can't afford it. 
This is treating a symptom. It's not treating the disease. It's not really addressing the problem, which is what's the underlying reason why these costs are so high? And then why are you penalizing the local governments who only have one place to go, and that's back to the taxpayer to make up for it? It's interesting. I was doing a deep dive into some numbers last night, and there seems to be a very valid concern that inflation is coming back and coming back with a vengeance. Some of the material I read said, look, people have, over the last two, three years are paying 17% more for things. And we hope inflation is just the, the cheap food's not coming back. That's over. We just hope that it stops going up. You know, I, there are some really disturbing research numbers out there on inflation. And boy, I'll tell you, food is prominent in those numbers. It is. And I think this is something that's nationwide. It's something that's impacting everybody. I mean, how many people do you know that have chickens these days for the purpose of having their own eggs because the price of eggs have gone up so much? Yep. And it it happens, yeah. That's got nothing to do with a 1% tax. That has to do with all the other issues. Now, talking about the state budget as a whole, $52, billion, we continue to spend more money every year. You know, it wasn't 10 years ago, it was $32 billion, and now it's $52 billion. That's real money. That's a lot of money. And there's a lot of things that the state has to do. The state has obligations, just like local governments. Uh, and, you know, taking a look at all of this is important, and that's what the General Assembly has to really do for the next couple of months. This week, they're not in session. The legislators are all at home. They're all in their district. And Hopefully they're talking to their constituents, and these are things that we hope their constituents are talking to them about, which is let's have a balanced budget, let's make sure that taxes are reasonable, but let's make sure we can provide the programs and services we need to, both at the state level and especially at the local level. Illinois Municipal League Executive Director Brad Cole.